Well, Happy New Year. How everybody enjoying 2020 so far? How many forms have you already messed up writing 2019? Anybody? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, I, I've already had four or five different things that have come across my desk, 2019. This is the first two or three weeks of 2020, or the new year becomes the whiteout season, right? Because that's got to scratch it out and, and go on. But we're excited about what God's going to do. I'm excited about uh, what God's going to do in the life of our church. Uh, and so I, I pray and I hope that you are uh, as well. As we move into a physical location, as, as we launch these home groups, uh, the, the sign-ups are there. We want you guys to sign up for home groups. In fact, today we are resuming our study in home groups. And why God, why is it important that we engage in small group, right? It's, it's, it's important. It's vital in, in the life of every believer. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. And so why is it so vital that we plug in to small group? It's easy to be a face in a crowd, right? It's easy to be entertained even at times in a worship service, right? But where the rubber really meets the road is when we begin to do life with one another, we begin to be vulnerable with one another. And we're going to talk about that today. God's design for growth in home groups. Growth in this small group setting, what it looks like. Um, Here's what I'll say. Everyone recognizes the need for accountability. I think everybody recognizes that. Anybody that has ever uh, supervised anything understands the need for accountability. We all recognize the need for accountability, but no one enjoys being held accountable, right? Nobody enjoys when the hard conversations are had, and I, I'll never forget, right? We, we've, I've watched a lot of football this week. I'll never forget uh, film studies. Some of you guys that played football, you know what the next day is like. You have your Friday, uh, you have your Friday game, and then whether it's Saturday morning or between uh, in the afternoon on Sunday or on Monday, you have film study. And I'm just here to tell you, I am permanently scarred from some of the film study that I had to watch. And most of the time, I knew it was coming. Sometimes it kind of took me off guard, but most of the time I knew, yeah, this was rough. Like, I could not handle this one technique, and he beat my tail all night long. So I am really about to get raked over the coals. And I'll never forget, right, my, my coach, if I'm taking a, a poor, uh, if I'm, I'm using poor form or I'm making myself look silly, he would just, he'd go back. And some of you know, it was Jimmy Don Nave and Mike Nave were my coaches in high school, right? I went to Hazel Green, and so some of you know they're from this area, like, and, and I remember him going back, and I was ski, right? Because you can't use first names, and nobody knows, can pronounce Austritsky, right? So I was ski, and I'll never forget every time, <laughs> Jimmy Don Nave going, ski, what are you doing here? And he'd roll it back. So then everybody watches 59 look like a fool, right? And, and I, I'm, I'm permanently scarred from some of the hurtful things that were said and everybody getting a laugh at my expense. But film studies were, were tough, right? As I got older, finals in college became that accountability, right? And we understand the need for it. We get that we need to show quantifiable evidence that we have actually gained knowledge, right? That's what, a, that's what a final is, but we stress about it. Uh, I'll never forget in college one time going almost, I, I went set, like 68 hours without any meaningful sleep. 
Uh, I could do that then. I can't even imagine doing that now. Uh, but it was my Greek final. It was my Christian thought final. And I just, I knew, man, I was going to bomb them all. Right? And I still to this day believe that God supernaturally changed on my Greek final. I, I called my mom like crying. All right? I may lose man points for that, but I thought I have flunked out of Greek. Uh, with this final, and I'm still convinced that God has supernaturally changed some of my answers to actually give me a passing grade for that class. Um, but but we, we understand that, right? We understand being held accountable, but when nobody enjoys it. I don't, I don't know of anybody that's like, man, I can't wait to get to this final, right? Um, everybody has been called into your boss's office, right? I'll never forget a couple years ago. I, I wanted our kids to have a really good time. I wanted our students to have a really good time at Lindsay Lane in, in Athens, and I was a youth pastor, and, and so I decided to allow pranks. Let me tell you what no, no church I ever lead will ever allow at their D-Now weekends. Pranks. All right, we had kids nearly die. We had one attack a, a, a guy attack a girl with a hockey stick. Uh, we, had, we had all kinds of madness. One kid almost got ran over, like, and everybody was out till 4 a.m. It was the worst, and I'll never forget getting the call. Uh, hey, Alan, this is Pastor Dusty. I need you to, to come into my office. For me. Man, it was the longest walk I've ever taken, right? Because I knew exactly what he was going to say. Everybody understands the need. I needed to be held accountable for that. But not everybody, uh, not everybody enjoys being held accountable. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, "As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another." Every single one of us in our life need accountability. And here's what I'll say: accountability spiritually, every other area of our life, accountability will happen on accident. It'll just happen. In our physical life, we will experience accountability, right? And we'll experience in our home. Our spouse can provide that, right? Our, our bosses provide that. Our teachers, our friends provide that. A lot of times in our, in our life, in every area, but our spiritual lives, accountability happens on accident. But I believe that there is no such thing as spiritual accountability that happens on accident, if you're going to live a godly life, you will never do it on accident. You will never just magically find yourself serving the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you slam it in, in neutral, you're going to drift, and you're going to drift toward the negative. And so every one of us need accountability, and so we're going to look at that today. Now, I know when I'm out of my depth... And I'm really out of my depth. I am not a handy person. I'll just say that. I'm about as handy as a foot, okay? Um, my idea of fixing something is calling somebody that I know through a pastoral connection to fix something, right? That's my idea of fixing stuff. My wife can attest to that. Uh, it, is, it is bad, okay? I am not handy at all. And so I'm also not one of those people that always have their tools on hand. You know those people in your life? Right, that you ask them at any point in time, do you have a crescent wrench? And they're like, yeah, of course, you know, whatever. You know, I, I, we have people on our plant team that I'll ask for a knife. I don't know why I don't carry a knife. I've needed one all, all, the, all through this process. But we'll ask them, like, you got, you got a knife on you? And I always get, what, what, do you, what do you hear when you ask the right person that? What do you hear? Do I got my pants on? Right? Because if, if you got your pants on, you got your knife on. Well, here's the deal. My illustration today involves a Paula Deen steak knife, all right? 
That's the closest I get to carrying around a knife with me. But, uh, you know, there's something that happens when you don't have a serrated edge, which I don't know why anybody buys knives that don't have serrated edges uh, for kitchens, but we did, right? Because it was, they're cute. They, they, they accessorized our, our kitchen. And this is called a honing steel. And there's something that happens when your knives get dull, right? Just as Proverbs talks about, when your knife gets dull, the edge, you lose your edge, you have to sharpen it, right? You have to create that edge, you have to keep that edge, and so you sharpen your knife so that you can, you know, not be the, the example that they, you find on all the infomercials with the person trying to cut the, cut the, the tomato, and you're like, there's ne- never been a knife that dull ever, right? But uh, you don't want to become that person, so you sharpen the edge of your knife, right? To prepare yourself so that you can cut or do whatever you have to do in the kitchen. But God's word in Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And so this is made out of the exact same material that this is made out of. And when you grind them together, there's a, there's a painful process, right? There's a, there's a tearing away, a grinding away of material in order to create an instrument that is sharper and better equipped to do what it was created to do, right? And so when I think about accountability in in small group or accountability in my own life, I think about the sharpening the edge of a knife. That unless I am willing to grind it out with someone else, unless I'm willing to be vulnerable, unless I'm willing to suffer the pain that's involved in accountability, I'm going to find myself at some point in my life extremely dull and pretty much unusable for the kingdom of God. Accountability is a big deal to God. And oftentimes it's one of the, 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 it's the, the one thing, right? It's the one thing that we refuse as children of God to do. But if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to James chapter 5. We're going to hop around a little bit. I usually love to, to preach expositorily through a, a single text, doing something a little different today. We're going to gather some texts from multiple places because I, I want you to understand what the enti- entirety of God's Word says about this issue of accountability. Why is it vital? Why is it something that we cannot ignore? Right? There's risk involved. There's pain involved. Right? There's, there's certainly an opportunity that somebody could take that information and use it against us. I could tell you another testimony in my life where that happened. But I am convinced as a child of God, you will forever be dull spiritually until you found someone that you can grind it out with. Somebody that can ask you the difficult questions. Somebody that you can ask the difficult questions to. Somebody that can hold you accountable in your walk with the Lord. With the Lord. And so the first thing we're going to look at is a biblical truth. We're going to see this. The amount of spiritual friction you allow in your life will determine how mature you'll be spiritually, right? That, that, that's what this is, right? This is metal grinding against metal, steel against steel, and the amount that you're willing to allow others to grind against the places in your life that, are, that you're insecure about and that you're ashamed of, The more you're willing to do that, the more that you're going to see progress in your life. James chapter 5, verse 14. Let's look at a biblical truth. James 5, verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. When we look at the anointing with oil, when we read this passage of Scripture, very familiar passage of Scripture, right? I've seen God do incredible things through the anointing of oil. I was having a conversation with a couple in our church not too long ago about the anointing, anointing of oil. I believe that there's power in prayer, right? And, and I believe in that. I, I do, and I've seen God do incredible things. But we've got to be careful how we limit this text only to physical illness. Because listen what it says. It doesn't stop there. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Right? There's power in prayer. Now, there's plenty that we can go into there about God's will. And uh, can, we, uh, can we assume that God's will is for them to be healed? And, and all of those things. That's a debate. That's a question for a later day in another message. But listen what it says after that. And if he has committed sins... He will be forgiven. Do you remember what Jesus said? When the man was lowered down to him, right? And he said, your sins are forgiven. And they said, well, what do you mean his sins are forgiven? He said, well, to prove to you that his sins are forgiven, which, by the way, Jesus was addressing his major need, his most vital need first, he said, well, so that you'll understand that I have we, that this power, I have this power, right? Get up and walk. What's easier to say, forgive your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? Get up and walk. And he did, right? But Jesus addressed first and foremost, he addressed the man's greatest need. When we look at somebody, when, we're, when we are addressing people, so many times we see the physical first because we're physical beings. But this passage isn't just talking about physical healing. If he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. For every sick person, there are 20 that are sin sick. And God has called us to be active in this process of restoring someone who is sin sick and walking a guilty distance from the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another... And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confess your sin. The whole point of what he's saying, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Let somebody in. Let somebody, allow somebody to see you when you're vulnerable. Allow the, the grinding of God's word with other believers to take place. And when that happens, pray for one another that you may be healed. The immediate context of this passage is dealing more with spiritual healing than it is physical healing. Right? God has called us. This is a biblical truth that we need to be active in seeing the restoration of people spiritually, not just when they're sick, not just when a disease has come against their body. Right? We should be active far before that. Yes, that's in there. Yes, the physical healing is in there. But don't miss the spiritual. If he's committed sin, he'll be forgiven. So confess your sins one to another. This should be a regular exercise. James is the most practical of books, 
right? It doesn't, it doesn't even deal with any high and intellectual theology. It deals with practical theology, right? If Jesus has changed your life, this is something that you do. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Listen to this on the screen. It's hard to say that you hate any sin in which you have not found accountability. It's hard to say that you hate any sin that you refuse to find accountability for or that you just simply have not found accountability for. And here's the principle. We reserve hatred for our greatest rival. Do we not understand that? In this football season, do we not understand that? Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Georgia, do we not understand? We reserve hatred for our biggest white rival. What we consider to be our biggest threat, we reserve hatred for that thing. Right, And if you as a child of God believe that your sin is your enemy, that you yourself are your enemy, then you will find accountability for your life. But here's the problem. I believe there's far more people in church that would rather lose fellowship than lose face. They would rather lose fellowship with believers who they'll find out were struggling with the same things they were, they would rather lose fellowship than lose face. Church, if we're going to be all that God has called us to be, the biblical truth of James 5 is that we have to be willing to allow holy friction in our spiritual life to sharpen us spiritually, to be a greater tool, a more effective tool for the kingdom of God. Otherwise, we will dull into uselessness. We'll dull into uselessness. It's a biblical truth. Number two, let's look at a biblical trend. As I was studying, as I've been studying small groups and texts that deal primarily with small groups, it is almost impossible in the, te- in the entire canon of Scripture to find text that deals with community that does not deal with sin. You almost, you can't find it in the New Testament. A text of Scripture that deals with community that doesn't deal with sin. Why do you think that is? It's almost like the Lord understands that we all have a sin nature, right? It's almost like he understands that this this is a battle that we fight daily between flesh and spirit. But you can't find teaching on community outside of the reality of sin. And I'll prove it to you. The most significant text on all small group deal with the subject of accountability. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Amazing passage on being like-minded, right, and, and, and bearing one another's burden, right, and, and charging hell with a water pistol together, right, this rallying cry that Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. Listen what he says in verse 1. Brothers, 
If anyone is caught in a trespass or in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you see someone that's in sin, you who are spiritual, now what does that mean? It doesn't mean you who feel like you don't struggle with that particular area, right? Well, I don't struggle with substance abuse, so I don't have any problem going to the alcoholic because I'm spiritual in that area, right? That's not what he's talking about. You who are spiritual, who are those that are spiritual? Those that have the Holy Spirit of God in them are spiritual, Right? If you have a relationship with Christ, everybody that houses the presence of God is a spirit being, right? Is spiritual by definition. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, whether you struggle in this area or whether you don't, because you possess the spirit of God, you are called in a spirit of gentleness to seek to restore that brother or that sister. You who are spiritual, you that possess the Spirit of God, go and restore such a one. James chapter 5. Right, we were just there. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. See, we have this mentality that when we see people struggling, the last thing that we need to do is go and tell them, go and, and try to talk to them, try, to, try to, to win them back, try to restore them, right? It's none of my business becomes the theology of the church, right? It's none of my business. Every one of us could probably think back of people that were once engaged in the churches that we were a part of and over time began the slow fade until now they are non-existent in a body of believers, a gathering of the church. And we look at that and we think shame on them when the reality is the shame is on us. When we see a, those who are spiritual, if you possess the Spirit of God, not if you feel like you are a moral authority on a given issue or not, or that, because that's, that's what happens, right? We, we, we try to find, you say, well, you don't understand what I'm going through, and until you understand what you're going through, I don't have, I can, you can't really minister to me. You're right, I, don't, I may not know exactly what you're feeling, but I know what God's Word says, Right? But the reverse of that is also true. Some people will only talk to people that have shared experiences, but some people like, I don't want to talk to someone that's dealing with this as well. Well, that would rule out a lot of things to hold someone accountable for. Would, you, would it not? I mean, am I the only sinner here? I mean, if I can only hold people accountable for the things that I've perfected, boy, y'all are in trouble. We are in trouble as a church. But if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, you have won back a sinner. You have covered a multitude of sin and you've saved wandering and saved his soul from death. Matthew 18, finally. Right away, if you have dealt with this text, this is the text that all the pastors love. I'm being sarcastic, right? This is the text that deals with the thing that us pastors don't like to talk about, church discipline, 
right? What does that look like in a church? You're dealing with people and you just want them to get there, right? You just want them to be there, right? How do I, how do I discipline them when they're volunteering their time to be there, right? Which tells us where our focus is right there. We're focused on building numbers, not a community, right? We're, fi- we're, we're focused on building a crowd, not community. But listen to what he says in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, verse 15, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now that's where we get really nervous. That's where we get rid of withdrawal fellowship from this guy. Now, understand what's being taught here. It's not the church doing this. You're too dirty of a sinner. I'm out. What it is, is strategic withdrawing fellowship from them so that in hopes that they realize what they miss in the body of Christ and they respond and they repent. Right? Everything that happens, everything that's being taught is toward the restoration of others. Right? If you're struggling with something in this room, true community, true community will not excommunicate you for your sin. It will seek to restore you. It will win you back to Christ, right? And so, yes, there's shame involved, and yes, it's painful, and yes, there's friction, and yes, it's, it's, it's not always fun and enjoyable, but it's vital to the kingdom of God. And can I just be real honest with you? It's almost impossible that it would ever happen in this room. Because that requires you to say something. It requires you to speak up. It requires you to share the truth about the condition of your heart with others. Or we can take our messages on Sunday, feel encouraged or challenged, whatever the case may be, and we can go on being just as strong as only we can be. Dull, without edge, and ultimately without point in the kingdom of God. Based on all this scripture that we've read in so many different areas, epistles written by different people, over and over in scripture, it's clear on your screen, accountability is essential to community. You can be at this church every time the doors are open and you can miss community. You can be a member of this church and you can be outside the community of faith. Church membership doesn't do it. It's engaging in life with other people. And we want, and that's why we're passionate about providing that to our church. I told you, I want to be, I want to be known for three things. I, don't want, I want to be known for what we do on Sunday is being evangelistic and drawing in the lost and seeing it make a difference in the kingdom of heaven. I want to be known for how we serve and how we approach missions, not just in this community, but across the world. And three, I want to be known for how we disciple in small groups. 
But there's risk. Accountability is essential to community. Finally, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, I want, I want to read a biblical teaching. I've heard someone say this is probably the most misinterpreted passage of Scripture in all of Scripture. In this passage of Scripture, in in Matthew chapter 7, you find something that people grab a hold of and they tear it out of Scripture and they build their whole lifestyle and ideology on two words. Two words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Let's look at a biblical teaching. Judge not... Judge not. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you go to any Mexican restaurant, there's one of two things that are on TV. One of two things. One, soccer, football, or two, the Jerry Springer show or some other show like it. Have y'all ever noticed that? Every time I walk into a Mexican restaurant, one of those two things are on. It's either football, it's either, it's either soccer, or it's something about the Jerry Springer or, or what other, some other type of show like that, Maury or whatever, whatever the case may be. I don't know what, they're, what they are called now. But, and you get those people, right, that come out and their whole ideology is built on don't judge me. I have done some really heinous things, but don't judge me. And they are passionate about it because they built their whole life on that passage. But that's not where Jesus stops. Listen to what he says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see, this is, this is important, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Right, it's, he, he said this this way to almost be comical. Right, he almost wanted people to snicker when he heard, when they heard him say it. Right, you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't see the log in your eye. Right, they, he wanted it to be jarring to these people. He wanted them to understand what was being said and the magnitude of what he was saying. Or how can you say to your brother, "Let me take the speck out of your eye" when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, don't miss this. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you're not careful, you'll look at that passage of Scripture and you'll say, this is what Jesus is telling us. I need to ignore the sin of other people because I have sin." And if you're not careful, you will adopt the understanding that this passage of Scripture is about ignoring everybody else's shortcomings because you have shortcomings of your own. Can I tell you that is the opposite of what this Scripture is teaching? If you settle with, I need to, you know, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, I know this person is, is sleeping around. Yeah, I know this person is in uh, living a sinful lifestyle. Yeah, this person's in an ungodly relationship. Yeah, this person is in, in substance abuse. But I don't need to say anything about that because I'm struggling too. You're missing the whole point of the text. 
The way this whole illustration ends is with both individuals seeing clearly. With a log removed out of one eye and the speck removed out of the other person's eye. This passage ends, the conclusion ends with each person's hindrance being removed and them being restored to good vision. So, on your screen, this text is not teaching to ignore sin. I've got to look the other way when people sin. But it's teaching on sin that is often ignored. We just need to acknowledge all of it. We need to acknowledge someone else's sin and we need to acknowledge our own sin. And church, when you understand that you are just as fallen as any other person in this world without Jesus, the only way to come to that person that you see that's struggling is in humility. It's in humility. right? It's not teaching us that I need to ignore this person's sin because I still want to ignore my sin. It's I need to deal with my sin so that I can help someone be restored out of their sin. This is difficult. This is hard. And it would be easier just to look the other way and say this is just the reality of both of our lives. But the the primary teaching of this text is not to ignore sin. It's to engage every aspect of the sin. Engage it, right? To see people who are struggling and minister to those people. Serve those people humbly as another beggar that just knows where to find bread. Come to that person and seek to restore them. We can't take accountability out of New Testament community. And we would be remiss to ignore it in this local body. We have to be willing to be real with one another. Why do we say crazy catchphrases like doing life? Right? Why do we say those kind of things? That they annoy me just like they annoy you. We gotta, we gotta do life together. Why? Because in doing life, you find out the life of other people. You find out, they find out your life and you find out their life. Right? You wanna know a lot about me Come do life with me. Come hang out at my house. Come to the duck blind with me, right? Sit on a bass boat with me. You'll find out a lot about me. Some will be good and some won't be. There's danger there, but it is essential in order for us to be sharpest and most ready to be used for the kingdom of God. And ultimately, why else are we here? The reason we exist, if you are a child of God in this room, if you are spiritual, if you have made him the Lord and the Savior of your life, the only reason why you are still drawing breath is to bring glory to him through reaching others. That's why God puts you on this earth. And any effort toward our discipleship should be driven to evangelism, to reach so that I can be discipled, to reach someone for Jesus, that I can know him more and I can make him known if you're missing that in your life i would encourage you the greatest thing i ever did to overcome sin in my life was find accountability for it otherwise we hate 
our shame. We hate what it would make other people think about us more than we hate what it does with our relationship with Jesus. It's idolatry. I hate the fact that somebody might think less of me rather than I, I hate the reality that I am further away from Jesus, that my relationship with him is, is, is ruptured. So what's important to us? It's not that we are ever called to ignore sin. It's that we should deal with every sin. We are not called to ignore any sin, but we are called to deal with all sin. With every head bow and eye closed. Every single one of us in this room has sin to deal with. The question is not if we have sin to deal with. The question is, how do we deal with it? And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, there's never been a time in your life where you have asked Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. There's never been a time where you repented from your sin, right? You dealt with your sin. Not the fact that you do bad things, but the fact that you can't help but do bad things. But you, re- you addressed your sin, you repented, you turned from your sin, and you made Jesus the Lord of your life. If you've never done that, I want to tell you how you need to respond to sin today. How the Holy Spirit is drawing you to respond to sin today. Now the enemy, the, many, the enemy is doing anything in his power to keep you from this response. The enemy is doing anything in his power to get you to ignore, to get you to uh, overlook what's going on, telling you things like it's not that bad, you, you're okay when you're compared to other people, you're, you're a good guy or you're a good girl. But it's not about that. The question is, are you dead in your sins or have you been made alive in Christ? And if you desire to be made alive in Christ... This invitation is for you. If you desire to have a relationship with Christ and you've never done that, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. In the back of the room, we've got counselors that are waiting. They're in the back, my left hand, your right hand side of the room. And when I say amen in just a moment, you just you, you, you can come to the front. I'd love to talk to you. Or you can just make a beeline back there to get right your relationship with with Jesus Christ. You're never going to do better on your own strength. It's time for you to rest in one that's done it all for you. And so we have counselors that would love to show you how you can have and tell you how you can have a relationship with Jesus. But maybe you're here. Maybe you know that you're a child of God. But maybe you, because of it, whether it's because of just negligence, or ignorance or whatever reason shame but you have ignored accountability for far too long I give you that opportunity to do business with God in the quietness of your own heart I'm here would love to talk to you we've got counselors that would love to talk to you but maybe you need to plug in to this church maybe you need to be held accountable in this body Maybe you need to join 
Maybe you need to get your baptism in order. Whatever it is, you're, you're walking outside of a community of believers and that needs to be addressed in your life. Whatever it is the Spirit would lead you to do, this invitation is for you. Counselors are waiting. I'm here at the front. Would love, love to talk to anybody that needs to make any decision at all. Whether you need Christ or whether you need to just respond. Maybe you just need to do business with the Lord. Maybe you need to make this stage up here your altar and maybe you just need to give over areas of your life that you know are causing you to walk in disobedience to God. Maybe you just need to give them over to Him. But then you need to take steps to find accountability for that. Maybe a response of an invitation to you looks like when we say amen, going to this table and signing up for a small group. Whatever it is that the Spirit would lead you to do, I pray that you would respond in these next few moments. God, have your will and way. In an invitation like this, There is a lot of people, there's a lot of warfare, spiritual warfare that's going on. Lord, I pray for one that needs to respond to you, whatever that response looks like. I pray that they would be obedient to you, and I pray as they make the first move, you make the rest for them. But give them boldness today. Lord, as we make life commitments, surrendering ourselves to you today, whatever that looks like, it's in your name that we pray.